I love this. <laughs> I feel like, I don't know, I was just listening to you like, and I'm like, don't smile too much. Like, I just feel so proud of you. Oh my God, thank you. <laughs> it's just nice to hear you be so aware. What your dad does know is I need to work, I need to provide. Yeah. Like, And you now know, I need to work, I need to provide, but I also need to do X, Y, Z. Therapy. Then your kids will know, I need to work, work I need to provide, therapy. I need to do therapy, <laughs> and I need to, you know, go for walks more often, and I need to be able to talk about my feelings more often, and it will just shut mm. down. So I'm an avoidant, dismissive person, but I'm working on it. Time is money, so spend yours listening to me talk about things that are important to me and my people. That. Time is money. <laughs> welcome to the second episode of the fourth series. I'm here with Nikel again, and we are discussing mental health issues and the mental health sector, I guess. There isn't a series name yet, because I only know it after I've edited everything, so I can't put that in. Okay. If you would like a little reminder of what we spoke about in the first episode, I would urge you to go and listen back, but here's a little taster. Sometimes with some of my clients, I don't want to talk to them in the way that we're taught. Yeah. But I have to because, like, you know, I'm still training and stuff. But I feel like representation as well is a big one because a lot of people won't go for jobs that they don't see themselves doing. And we're going to get straight into it. So, second episode. How are you feeling? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right, thanks. I'm good. I wanted us to talk a little bit about uh, breaking generational cycles and patterns and generational trauma. Yeah, big topic. <laughs> absolutely massive. So um, I don't know, I don't really have a, a position on where to start. Mm. I was hoping maybe you could take the lead on that because yeah, I don't good. know how to really attack this beast. Mm. Um, I guess I could probably give a little bit of uh, our own personal experiences. Mm -hmm. So for me personally, with my dad in particular, I've really struggled with our relationship and mm. it's primarily because of the generational trauma he has experienced and has been passed down to him. Mm. Um, funnily enough, I actually found the language generational trauma or the word rather when I was, I can't remember what I was doing, but it was a rap, it was something to do with the slave trade. And I think it might've been a book I was reading and it was talking about how your reactions or biological things within you, for example, typically black people being higher in cholesterol having high cholesterol mm. is because of a issue where when some black people eat salt salty food salt mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in some way your body absorbs all of the salt content and doesn't like only absorb the little bit that you need yeah and that's a direct reaction to the transatlantic slave trade on the boat coming over to wherever you're going to be placed to be a slave and treat how you're treated on that journey um, meant that any bit of food you did get, your body's response to try and keep you alive was mm. to absorb every single bit of the nutritional content, mm -hmm. including the salt. So that's why now, because of that happened for so long, it has been passed down biologically mm. in this way, where you know you are actually going to be more predisposed to high cholesterol, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So my dad's from Trinidad, and um, his background and his family background would have been or has is indentured labor slavery yeah. and that was where I first read about generational trauma mm -hmm. and being passed down and when I started reading about that it made me understand him a lot more and understand why he was the way he was and understand maybe why he wasn't able to see his kids mm. as kids so to speak 
and he was very hell-bent on like drilling into my brother and I tough he, he was very much like the tough parent and tough love that was his way of doing it and that was just because like I guess you know with that as a as a first starting point and then obviously with the coming to Britain mm. uh, at the time they did and with how bad racism would have been they wouldn't have been raised in a in a like cotton wool lovey-dovey it's mm. okay there's no consequences like live your life kind of way it would have 100% been a lot worse of yeah. like come correct don't do this you're always gonna need to work twice as hard Mm -hmm. don't bring police to my door blah 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 that kind of stuff do you know what I mean so that's what we had a lot from my dad Mm. and unfortunately because of where he was coming from he can't see that anything anything he did or does do is bad Mm. because he just sees as it's so much better than what I had so how could that be bad? Yeah, yeah. So when I think of generational trauma, I think of him, if I'm honest. Like mm. he, from in my eyes, embodies it, really. Yeah. Um, especially because he's not willing to or aware of it, um, which makes it even more harmful. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been very diligent with and purposeful when it comes to undoing some of that for me mm-hmm. because I'm very conscious that I don't want to pass stuff like that down to my kids. Yeah. And yeah, breaking cycles, breaking patterns, like it's a pattern of me to like seek that validation because obviously, like I said, my dad, for example, was extremely tough love. There was never like, I'm so proud of you or anything like that. Uh, So I would then seek that outside. And then as a woman, uh, my dad, that's a prime connection and a prime relationship for me. Mm. Uh, it's quite dangerous when you don't have that validation or that, you know, care. Yeah. It's because then you start seeking it from other men mm-hmm. slash thinking that that is normal from mm-hmm. men. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of early, not a lot, I had some early relationships yeah. <laughs> with men yeah. who were not nice men. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? They might have been nice people, but in like a relationship not good Mm -hmm. and that was because they were familiar to me because of the lack of emotional presence I got from my dad I didn't think it was weird that they were like that as well yeah when actually that's mad do you know what I mean that's Mm -hmm. not unlike my partner now is the complete opposite and that's because I've worked hard to sort my what I think is good out yeah to know actually no no that was toxic and that's not and I see a lot of girls they're like tens they're stunning they are doing their thing. They're working hard. They're just all around like you'd want to wife them. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And they go with the worst guys. And you're like, why? And and they're just like, oh, I just like a guy who's a bit bad. Or I like a guy, whatever it might be. But actually, I've realised after having lots of friends and, you know, semi being there myself, mm. that actually it's because you don't think you're worth better. You don't think that you can get a guy who is actually going to treat you the way you should be treated mm-hmm. and deserve to be treated. Yeah. So you end up thinking, oh, yeah, um, I just like that. And actually, it's not that you like that. You just don't think you qualify for someone better. Mm-hmm. And I often think that's because there hasn't been a role model of that because your dad might have, A, not been around or might have been bad or shit mm. to you. So um, you just think that's all right. Thoughts? I love this. I feel like, I don't know, I was just listening to you like, and I'm like, don't smile too much. Like, I just feel so proud of you. Oh my God, thank you. <laughs> because like, it's just nice to hear you be so aware. Mm. Like a lot of people are not aware of these things. And I think it should be something for everybody to know. Um, 
like you've hit the nail on the head like with generational trauma like it trickles down and it's it's kind of about like let's say for example you had grandparents that see the world as unsafe Mm -hmm. you're more likely to see the world as unsafe because that's what your parents would have learned and then ultimately that's what you would have learned so it is very much like that it is very much like so let's say for example like you were saying about your family from trinidad and similarly Mm -hmm. my family are caribbean as well Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, that trauma, even from the days where, like, our ancestors were slaves, would trickle down because all that our families know is you need to work hard. You need to work twice as hard. You need to... It's almost like they block out any other, like, emotional stuff or things that... But they you, if you think about speak. it, at the time... Sorry to cut you. Yeah, it's fine. That you're like, yeah, please do. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, go. <laughs> at the time, none of that emotion would have served you. No. Do you know what I mean? That wouldn't have helped. Like, I sometimes when I was younger, I used to have these conversations with my dad because he would always, his favourite line would be, granddad would just laugh or like, what would granddad say kind of thing? Mm. Or granddad would be not happy about this. Granddad, that was his big thing. Like, granddad's word was everything. And I would say, well, you know, when blah, blah, blah happened, mm. how did you guys feel? Like, what, what, what did that do to you? <laughs> and my dad would start laughing and he would just be like, there was not that. These things didn't exist about emotion and how did I feel and (laughs) you know what I'm saying like this wasn't a thing like so why are you asking me kind of thing Mm. and even now he's 60 and still there's just Mm. not that insight he doesn't see that there could be the it doesn't he would if he listened to this now he'd be watching us thinking these lot are on crack like what are they talking about how can you have a whole episode about feelings are you all right like that's how he'd think it yeah my family's (laughs) (laughs) do you know what it is it's because as humans, like, our ultimate goal is to just survive. Mm. So things that feel like a threat, like feelings, mm-hmm. is like, oh, we, we can't touch that subject. Mm-hmm. Like, we need to keep moving on because I'm just trying to survive. Mm-hmm. So, like, even though when people do stuff, it doesn't seem like, not like it seems like, actually, you should pause and maybe think about this. People are just trying to survive. And that's why, like, your dad or your granddad or, like, my grandparents, like, they wouldn't think like that because ultimately... They're there's thinking not capacity for it. That, yeah, there's no capacity for it. If I think about this extra thing that might hinder my survival, like, I just need to survive. That's it. Um, and so, yeah. with that, do you feel like it is... Because I was on another podcast, Beyond the Surface. Shout out them. You should check them out. Oh, and, <laughs> and they said... We were having this conversation, and I think... The, I can't remember exactly. The episode's coming out soon. But they said something... Uh, Leo was saying something about um, knowledge and, like, progression kind of thing. Or, like, your mindset being healthy. Mm. And I said, I think that it's a privilege to have that kind of mindset. Like, you mm-hmm. know, you just said to me, like, you, you, it's really good that you're aware and stuff. I think awareness is a privilege. And I think it's down to exposure. Mm. And I don't think everybody has that. And he said, no, he thinks that actually you can... It's not a, like there's no excuse kind of thing. You can't let if you're a parent, for example, like mm. my dad, you can't let the fact that you may not have had as much exposure to this kind of awareness mm. be an excuse as to why you now do X, Y, and Z to your kids. Like you're not emotionally available for your kids, for example. And I would say that actually, yes, my dad really, honestly, he's an educated man. Mm. He could access, you know, podcasts and videos. I sometimes think I like I should send him like a podcast on like feelings and stuff, but I know he'd probably just block me. But still, like, <laughs> there's there's things he could access, but he just wouldn't. Mm. So should like, is it justifiable that he is doing that? Not just him, someone uh, like yeah, him, people, yeah. yeah are doing that when that is available to you 
Or is it our job, those who are a bit more enlightened and do have a bit more awareness, to just have compassion for what you said, which is that they're just trying to survive Mm. and we move with it. But if we take that option of just having compassion, that means we sort of give a pass to their lack of insight. I think it's a tricky one. Mm -hmm. I think that it's not an excuse, but it's an explanation Okay, I'm going to move away from your dad and just, like, yeah. put it as, like, people. Yeah. Um, like, some people, even though they have access to these things, like, they don't know that they can access that. Or, like, it's just, it might be hard for them to access it and things like that. So, I'm not saying that it's an excuse, mm-hmm. like, but, like, I do think that we should give some compassion to that. These weren't things that were, like, readily available for people to know. Mm-hmm. So they're just not going to know. Yeah. But now that we know, that's it. it's time to do something about it. So I don't give compassion as such to maybe someone like me and you who mm. can speak on these subjects and then still don't do anything. Mm. But to the generation before or before that, they don't really know. And this is kind of like, to them, this is like, don't don't touch that. Mm-hmm. It's almost scary for them to yeah, go I don't think that. almost. I think very much is. Yeah, so I do feel like we have to go compact because it's we have to break it down slowly. Like you can't just expose someone to like all this stuff because it's it's gonna be hard for them to take that in. Mm. So it's gonna start with your dad. Let's mm-hmm. just use that because we were talking about it. Mm-hmm. Then you're gonna break some. Mm-hmm. Then your kids are gonna break some, mm-hmm. and it's gonna go like that. And there's gonna be stuff that your kids are like, "Mum, you used to do X Y Z. Like how bloody crazy is that?" And you're gonna be like, "What do you mean? When Trust I was me. your age, I had." to work oh, and gosh. do you know what I mean <laughs> and it and like you're not going to understand how that, they're so entitled and they want to waste the water yeah <laughs> yeah basically and but it's just it's going to trickle down and yeah. it, it's just about taking accountability for what you do know and working with that so like for you for example like what your dad does know is I need to work I need to provide yeah. like is what I'm saying assuming mm, from what course, you're saying yeah. and you now know I need to work I need to provide but I also need to do xyz therapy then your kids will know I need to work, work I need to provide therapy. I need to do therapy <laughs> and I need to you know go for walks more often and I need to be able to talk about my feelings more often and it will just shut mm, down that's so um, nice love that so we're speaking about parents speaking about generational trauma chat to me about the psychological effect of generational trauma anything that we've missed thus far and then attachments because I think something else we're going to speak about in a minute Mm. is that attachments at the moment it's like I feel like because uh if you have exposure to this kind of stuff like Mm -hmm. the conversations we're having now is like a breakfast date for me and my mum for example (laughs) we speak about this like over a tea do you know what I mean but for a lot of people this is like a very (laughs) in-depth and quite not there every day and again that's why I wanted to do Myers Minutes because I wanted to make conversations like this which should be accessible to everybody and everybody should be having and and they want to have but they may not just have anyone to have it with Mm. at least now you have someone to have it with because we're doing it I feel like therefore because I've had such exposure to this Mm. kind of stuff anything that comes out is like I'm five years before Mm. so now people it's like a buzz thing people are talking about attachment types mm. i've known about that from time ago do you know what i mean and Lucky then, you. <laughs> no, exactly exactly so i've had to learn that this isn't just common knowledge basically yeah, it's not. so attachment types for example 
that's in the social media. It's in, you know, available readily a lot mm. now. However, when things are, b- are readily available and when people don't do actual research and know about things, mm. it's just something that they've come across, maybe read on a post somewhere and now they're doing a video about it. Wrong information is passed along. Mm. So people have like popcorn knowledge of these big topics yeah. when actually they need to have like a Myers Minutes episode on it. Do you know mm, what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I want us to be very intentional with how we speak about these attachment things so yeah. that we can actually help people realise it in their own lives. Because I think at the moment people are ingesting this information when they see it. And because it's so fragmented, they don't actually know how they can apply it to themselves. So I'm hoping with our explanations, mm-hmm. they're able to be like, oh shit, yeah, I do, I do notice that yeah. I do this or blah, 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 does that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so generational trauma. I feel like you basically said most of it it is very much to do with you know what happens in your ancestors and it kind of trickles down to you so for example if let's say for example if my nan for england is really racist and cold and the white people and yeah and if she said all of that with me growing up then my mom would think that then i would think that mm-hmm. but I mean, in my actual, like, family, my I never heard my grandma really say that. So my mum didn't really grow up saying that, and I didn't grow up saying that. So essentially, when, if you watch the last um, episode, when I was speaking about feeling okay being in white spaces, mm-hmm. that was okay for me, and I could put myself there, because I never had that generational trauma of, like, all oh, white people... You don't belong really, here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, that... That was never told to me, so I never had that trauma. Whereas other black people that have had that trauma would find it really uncomfortable to put themselves in that space because their whole the generation before that and the generation before that feel like you know white people are really mm-hmm. racist, mm-hmm. so they would feel more scared. Yeah, and that isn't a wrong thing, by the way. It's not. We're not saying that it's a wrong generational trauma is all propaganda. It's just that it is true of one of the generations. And it may not be true of the following generations. Yeah. Because one of the generations has said it and it's been so applicable to them. Mm-hmm. Every generation thinks it's it's applicable to them. Yeah. Which it may not be. And that's how they that's how they're also like mothered and taught as they grow up. So they might hear it from this person and then their mum might treat them in this way because that's how their parents treated them and it just trickles down through the generations. Um so yeah, that's that's kind of how generational trauma works. But mm-hmm. I guess what us two are saying is that I think generational trauma can feed into attachment stuff, probably. Yeah. Because yeah, again, speaking about let's take the example of like the slave trade in the Caribbean, for mm-hmm, example. Mm-hmm. It's quite uh, documented if you look at this kind of stuff that the uh, correlation between Caribbean fathers not being present for their kids, mm. like nowadays is to do with the fact that during slavery, they were taken, a lot of black men, Caribbean men, were taken away from their families to go and work the land or uh, impregnate other women to Mm. be strongest genes, make the most kids and stuff like that. Um, So yeah, they were torn away from their family against their will. Mm. And now there's almost that disconnect uh, where they actually don't know how to stay, to how to be present. Yeah, and it's the same for so Caribbean women, for example. So in that um, example, if, you know, years ago, like generations ago, Caribbean women weren't used to having, um, like, their men around or, like, the dads around or whatever, then their child would be like, oh, it's okay. And then their child would be like, it's okay. And it trickles down because each person was taught that it's okay or yeah. that it's normal, it's been that this is, how, this is how it goes. Mm. 
until we get to us where it's still very much prevalent. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So the reason I say that that interlinks with the attachment thing is because when I gave the example of me, like, and a dad as a you know as a woman and needing my dad to be around especially when I got to those like teenage ages when I'm starting to look at like guys now and I'm dating boys and stuff like that I can directly see out of all of my friends of that time Mm. I was the least like I'm not even the least I was not sexually active (laughs) and I know that's because I had a dad and he wouldn't have it's not that he would have been able to know or whatever and out of my mum and my dad my my dad is actually the more relaxed one about that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. because again I think Caribbean mentality is a little bit more um, I'm being extremely generous when I say a little bit more very much more (laughs) relaxed about that whereas my mum who's Punjabi it is like what do you mean you have a boyfriend that's insane whereas he understands that that's an applicable concept but regardless of that there would be no way I could go and stay at a boy's house or have a boy stay at my house and that was running for some some of my friends and that's because directly they didn't have a dad around yeah I think, and that's not to discredit the job that women do at all, mm. but I know that even like when it's when there was times when it's just been my mum and I, there's just not that same, I don't know, like she obviously cares for me, but just not in that same primal way maybe. Like she wouldn't ever, if I was out late, mm. she wouldn't ever think to like call and then pick me up. Whereas my dad would be like, I'm going to pick you up. From where where are you? Like, I need to pick you up. Mm-hmm. Because he's like, knows it gets to dark and you're a victim. You're you're, you're potentially, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas my mum, she's like, I'm an independent woman. You're an independent woman. Do your thing. Kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's a different kind of like care. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And I know that a lot of my girlfriends, friends who are girls, mm-hmm. missed out on that. And they would always comment on it. That's how I know. Because they'd always be like, oh, you're so lucky you've got a dad. Or your dad. Yeah. Like, even though my dad was giving me hell about whatever it might be. At, to their perspective, he was present. So already your yeah, head and lucky. shoulders above. Exactly. Yeah. So now when I then lost that connection with my dad, uh, I noticed my attachments mm. to certain types of toxic men, for mm-hmm, example, mm-hmm. grew. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay, fine. So I'm just trying to make the link. No, it makes a good, it's a good link. Um, I was thinking about how I'm going to link it as well. Because, okay. yeah, so I know my attachment style. So I'm an avoidant, dismissive person, but I'm working on it. You do not strike me as that. Really? Yeah. No. So what are the types? Let's go. Right. Okay. Talking. So they're secure. Mm-hmm. That's what I am, by the way. Love that for you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> secure is basically just that. Yeah. You're secure. Like you can be with like different people and, and you feel like happy with them and you're not really that anxious and you can rely on people when you need to and you can rely on yourself when you need to and you're secure then we move on to anxious this is someone that kind of struggles with um like communicating their needs i don't like the word sensitive but we're going to go with that for the audience because i feel like they understand it's usually someone that's quite um you know like sensitive needs a lot of reassurance yeah needs a lot of reassurance um and that yeah they will struggle to say like i need help and things like that then we have avoidant fearful which is someone they actually rely a lot on relationships and they're usually scared of themselves so they they trust other people but they don't trust themselves so a lot of avoidant fearful people might be a bit like um like Maya what do you think like yeah. and rely on a lot of other people's things because they don't trust how they feel about stuff mm-hmm. 
And then we have me, <laughs> who is an avoidant dismissive person. And that is very, and you probably see it on social media all the time, but those girls that are like, I'm an independent woman. I don't need no man. Um, yeah, they're very much like guarded and like, don't, don't come next to me. But if there was like a big event that happened, they are usually the one that will break down. Mm. So in small situations, they're, they're like, no, I'm fine. Like, it's cool. But in a big situation, they are cracking. You're going to see them crumble. Yeah, you'll <laughs> see them crumble. Okay. Um, so there are the attachment styles. Mm-hmm. And kind of following on from what you were saying. So I didn't, I just grew up with my mum. So my mum was my mum and my dad. Mm-hmm. And I do think my, so attachment styles form from childhood and that's Mm -hmm. very much to do with, you know, how you was mothered or how you was fathered, how your parents grew you up, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Can I ask? Mm -hmm. Because I had a perfect upbringing till 15 Mm -hmm. and then it started to go a bit tits up. Yeah. So would the zero to 15 be why I can be secure now? Why? Because in those years, everything was good. And I was getting the input I needed from both sides. Everything was 10 out of 10. So is that why now I can be secure attached? Yeah, so you, it would contribute to that, yeah. Fun. But then also I think it's because you're very much aware mm. as well. But so I think like in those 15, years they could have... I can be aware because in 0 to 15 yeah, yeah, I was yeah. given the skills to then have the confidence or security or whatever to then be aware. So that's where secure attached can be born from. And I think this is another key point because I think a lot of people, especially again, if we look at like immigrant backgrounds, Mm. um, we, the first of the, of the siblings, for example, I don't know if you're the oldest. I'm the oldest. I I so knew that. Yeah. Um, I'm the oldest as well. There we go. Literally. And (laughs) sometimes the elder one might come out a bit like, if the youngest ones were to describe the eldest, they'd be like, oh, she's so, she's always complaining. She's got so much this. She's oh, like, this is my siblings. Like, blah, blah, blah. And that's because you guys weren't in the streets as we were. Do you know what I mean? And I say that figuratively. I want sometimes... to record this little bit and send it to my siblings <laughs> because yes, you were not in the streets when we but were. <laughs> sometimes streets don't mean physical streets. They can just mean, you know, the position your families were in. It can be... It's, I find it more prevalent in bigger families. I've only got one younger brother. I'm okay. just a oldest of two. Yeah. But my mum, for example, she's one of five. Yeah, I'm And she's four. got two elder sisters who are 10 years older than her. Oh. And those ones, you can so see it. Mm. Because when they were in, you know, young times were hard yeah. they came I think they would have first come to Britain they were, came to Coventry when the older two were like five maybe six mm. maybe even older and obviously my mum and that weren't born yet so by the time my mum was of conscious age to mm. be experienced whatever they were thriving they were doing well financially everyone was happy the parents had really relaxed on how they are with everyone yeah. and as a result my mum is that way mm. she's hasn't got a clue <laughs> she's very airy fairy like we're all friends what's the problem yeah and her sisters are like beasts <laughs> they're so angry at the world do you know what I mean yeah and they can't they don't have that same soft like yay they're not they're very pessimistic and oh angry and hard and that's because they essentially even though they're siblings and they lived in the same house they live different lives yeah do you know what I mean mm-hmm. and I think that's part of that can obviously really feed into your attachment style obviously mm-hmm, as well mm-hmm. Ariel. That was a very good point, actually. I do think... I mean, I'm very conscious of it. So, 
not too much. I'm like naturally a soft person, but I am the one that's like, oh, guys, like don't do this because do you know what can happen if you do this? And my little brother said to me last week, he was like, Nicole, we had a meeting and you're just really annoying us right now because you keep going on about don't do this and don't do that. But it's because they don't know what it took to get here. Whereas I do like, you know, I don't want to like talk too much. And obviously like if I speak a lot, then it's like my family's business but my mum had me young so I grew up with her growing up mm. so grew up with her basically. Uh, yeah so it's kind of like she'd done so amazing like absolutely amazing but you lot didn't see the bit before we got here mm-hmm. like you just weren't there my siblings are a lot younger than me as well yeah. they're 16 and 13 wow. so there's a big age gap yeah so it's kind of like when I say these things I'm saying out of love like mm. I'm not saying out of being an annoying sister so yeah. I kind of resonate with like your mum's sisters in terms of them being probably a bit more like hello like yeah. and your mum being like oh it's fine <laughs> because my little sister is yeah. so like what is your problem like oh, life yeah. is okay yeah, and I'm like no but do you know mm-hmm. but um, then I'm also yeah. conscious that you need to speak for you're only going to get through to somebody where it's relevant to their life yeah do you know what I mean so like when I have go have a go at my brother or anything like that I'm trying to say to him work twice as hard, you need to this, you need to that, whatever he might need to, I think he needs to do. Yeah. But actually, by the, this isn't the case because there's only a three year difference with us. Mm. But if this was the case, yeah, his yeah. one justification could be that um, actually now, these years later, it doesn't matter. There's a different perspective towards this. Mm. Black and Asian people aren't expected to do this. There is more representation of X, Y and Z. It is a bit easier kind of thing. That yeah, could yeah. be his point. It isn't true, but I'm just saying it could be a point for somebody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some Not us, but somebody. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, back to attachment styles. Mm. So yeah. I and was... it's in the early ages, though. That was the whole point of us saying this. It's in the early years that your attachment style is formed. Yeah, in your childhood. Mm. Um, so yeah, I would say that mine formed in my childhood. So it was very much like, obviously, it was just me and my mum. And like, she wasn't disappointed or anything, like usually for someone that has like an avoidant um dismissive attachment style like people might report things like they would ask their mom to do something and they never did it or they'd ask their dad for this and they'd always be disappointing Mm. that never happened for me as such Mm -hmm. but my mom is very and I always say this to her and she just laughs but the house could be on fire and my mom would be like oh it's okay and I'm like but it's not it's literally on fire like And she's like, no, it's fine. And we deal with things so opposite. Like, me and my mum are polar opposites. So I guess growing up, I just learned, I can't trust you because the house is on fire (laughs) and you're telling me it's okay when it's not. Mm. And I'm I'm also a bit of an anxious person as it is. So it just feels like everything you're saying to me is a lie. Like, because it is on fire. Mm. So obviously now, as I've grown up, I've just learned, I can't trust people. I can only trust myself. Because this woman's out here telling me it's fine when the house is on fire. Mm. Um, So that's kind of just trickled into my adult life. um, Where I do still... So I'm working on it. I'm in therapy. Good. We love that. Yes. But I do still think, subconsciously, that everyone else is unsafe, but I'm okay. Mm -hmm. Like, not in a sense of, like, I'm okay for other people, but I'm okay for myself. I know that... As long as I can rely on myself, I'll be okay. Mm. And I'm very independent, very like, no, I've got it. I'd rather just do it by myself. I don't want your help. Um, but in big situations, I am definitely the one to be like, this is so bad. Mm. I can't handle 
massive situations because I think in loads of small ones, I just let it go from my head and I'll be like, oh, it's fine. It's like, do you know what I mean? Um, you avoid it. I avoid it, yeah, yeah. Um, and when you're faced with it and you can't avoid. Yeah, that I really struggle with that. And I'm very dismissive of stuff. And I think, so like even in like relationships with people, so I've never been in a relationship um, and I'm 24, nearly 25. And like to a lot of people, that's like quite weird. It's like, why? To be fair, I think that the more insight you have, <laughs> Go on. the later you will get into a relationship. I think so. I think I'm actually Because like, you'll know okay no this is a, like if i i was always quite uh switched on yeah um and i was in the um circle i was in mm. the last to like start you know having sex or getting a relationship or whatever yeah, yeah and this it's like a blessing and a curse when you are in a relationship because you if you enter with the knowledge you're like you have, for example, mm-hmm. which I did not have when I entered my relationship. Yeah. Um, I was, we were sort of at the same stage. Like both of us didn't really know um, as much as we know now, for example. Mm-hmm. We both struggled with communication. I always say the first two years of a relationship is hard. Like I cried a lot. I say, I feel like I say this every episode, but I honestly <laughs> did. And he, it was hard because you're learning each other's language. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You're learning how, you're learning their traumas, you're learning their this, you're learning their way of being, you're learning their attachment styles, how they need to be loved. Is it different to how you need to be loved? Mm. All of that is very, very long. Yeah. And if you are coming in with the level you're at of, okay, yes, you might know that you're avoidant or dismissive, for example, but at mm-hmm. least you know that. Yeah, yeah. You could be, you could really like a guy or a girl mm. who is not like that. They they might be lovely and great, but they may have zero clue about where they are yeah, with yeah. anything. And they no, might not know their attachment style. They might not know like why they feel this way. They might not understand anything about their generational trauma or any of those things. Mm. And so you're always going to be in a position where you're sort of like teaching them. Yeah. And then it's going to make them feel like, I don't want to be a stu- I'm not a student. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So it can cause that. But then equally, if you go in with zero understanding you're going to spend the whole time being the student. Yeah. So it's hard to find that balance. And I think I was lucky because my boyfriend and I are both very uh, similar in that we're mature and like we're both uh, in our families, we have a similar position. Mm -hmm. So that makes sense to us. But in terms of like self-awareness and blah, 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 uh, we both didn't really have that. Do you know what I mean? So we had to learn that and you get that in different ways. And my way of learning it might be through therapy, for example, his Mm. way might be something different and I have to respect and he has to respect and all of that. It's a lot. So I know I'm selling relationships to you, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But like um, at the same time, being in a relationship is the fastest way. I think if you're an, if you are a self-aware person to, get your issues looked at because mm. you have no choice because you've got a mirror next to you every day reminding you of what you could be better at and why you're not doing it and how that's affecting that person and blah, blah, blah. Because yeah. when you're on your own, it's just you. So you might be aware of that, but okay, I'm aware of it. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. When you're faced with it in arguments or in issues or this person isn't giving me what I want because I can't do this and whatever it might be, you have no choice. Mm. So that is one from your perspective of what you like with like (laughs) self-development I don't know I feel like because I've been going to therapy for two years now so I do psychodynamic psychotherapy Mm. so just a quick pause on that 
There's different types of therapy. Yeah, there's loads. Please don't get me to name them all because we'll not be all here of them. Not all of them. Forever. Top five. Oh god. I have interpersonal relationship one. I think is that yeah. one? is that called? Is that the right name? Integrative therapy. Okay, mine's something to do with relationships though. Oh, I've not heard of it. It's not like relationship therapy, but it's. I think it's interpersonal. Oh, okay, interpersonal therapy. Yeah. Yeah, so that's just like, that's about you and like oh. your relationships with others and stuff like yes, that. Yes, that's exactly what I have. Yeah, uh, so there's psychodynamic, which mm-hmm. is like your childhood and how it affects you now. So that's mm-hmm. what I do. Okay. Um, there's integrative uh, therapists, which like specialise in different stuff. So they can change it up for you. Mm. Tailor um, it to you. Yeah. There's CBT, which is very much to do with the here and now. So CBT therapy doesn't, I mean, like we'll take some stuff from your childhood, but it's very much to do with like what are you struggling with right now and how can we help for right now? Yeah, I, I always in my head think CBT, which is cognitive behavioural therapy, yeah, as a practical kind of like fixer. Mm. But I see it as more surface because it doesn't go into like that childhood stuff, yeah. which essentially is where we all are messed up from. <laughs> um, you're never gonna get that deep long term fix. You might get something for the here and now, and it might work for a good minute, yeah. but I don't know if it's going to be a life thing. I think CBT, I I like, okay, so I'm like half and half mm-hmm. with it. So I like CBT because it's one of the most adaptable therapies for like diverse people. Mm-hmm. Like there's like Islamic based CBT, mm-hmm. there's like different ways that you can adapt it for different cultures. Mm-hmm. So I like it for that. And obviously some people don't have the capacity to even dip into that childhood trauma Absolutely. and we just need to focus on right now For 100%. to get through right now mm-hmm. so i like it in that aspect but i do like psychodynamic therapy because it's like if you do have that capacity i want to know where this started from what is happening what happened 20 years ago that is affecting me right now mm. and this is what i want to change and I, I don't know, like, that kind of, like, understanding for me has been beneficial. But then also, psychodynamic therapy doesn't give you skills to deal with it. This is it. So, my therapist might be telling me all this stuff, and yep. when you was eight, and whatever mm. not, and then it does feel a bit like, now what? Trust me. Whereas CBT therapy, like, they give you That's homework. the what. That's the what to do. Yeah, they, they give you literally what to do. Like, let's do box breathing, let's do this, like, this will do this, like, so... Yeah, it kind of depends on what you want to work on, that kind of stuff. And then obviously there's like more creative ones like drama therapy, Mm, art therapy. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think if like, you know, people of colour are struggling to go to therapy, I don't know if drama and art is going to be the ones that they go to. Do you know what? Like we have a really cool drama therapist Mm -hmm. at my workplace and I just feel like she gets a lot of people of colour like to Mm. go to her because you almost don't, not you don't need to speak, but it almost shies away for creative people I would say Mm. from like directly asking these questions and giving them another way around this is how I feel but I don't know how to express this yeah so let me do it through this Mm. so I would say only really more creative people go than people that are a bit more like shy to those things but creative therapies like art music drama therapy are actually really good ways of being able to express this is how I feel, or I can't even make sense of how I feel, but this is what this is what's coming out of me mm. in a way that's like containing for them. I suppose. Okay. I mean, I suppose it has been happening for years. Artists, yeah, you know I mean, drawing but and painting and that. I'm not of... super creative, so I don't I don't know. If okay, that would be fine. My... Okay, cool. Right. 
Thank you. Sorry, I paused you when you were doing that. But you were saying, with me, I've been in therapy for two years. Yeah. And you do... Psychodynamic psychotherapy. So I... That's what I was saying. I feel like I couldn't... Without doing this, I couldn't have entered a relationship, like a healthy one. Like, I feel like I actually needed... Because I am a bit like, oh, you need 25, like... And you just haven't found anyone, like, what's kind of going on? I wouldn't think that, but, but go on. No, I know. But now that I've done the therapy and I've really understood myself, I feel like I am more in a position that I could be in a relationship. Whereas if I was in a relationship two years ago, mm-hmm. I don't think it would have been that healthy. Mm. Because I would have never let the person do anything for me or I would have been quite, it's fine, I could do it myself. Like, I'm quite dismissive. And when I have reflections with my therapist about, like, people who I have dated and stuff and like reflecting on my position as to why it didn't work out. I can see how I am quite like, yeah, dismissive of their the feelings. Problems. Yeah, like, literally <laughs> like, well, like, yeah. yeah. Um, and so I feel like this, the therapy I did or I'm doing has helped me to get to a point where now I can practically, like, uh, you know, do those skills like you were saying but two years ago, I don't even think I had the knowledge to be able to practice those skills. I think if I got if I had a boyfriend and I got into an argument with him, I would have been like, cool, see you Bye. later. Yeah. yeah. There's a happy life over the single side. Mm. Um, whereas now I'm a bit more like, okay, Nikhil, breathe. Like, mm. what have you done? What has he done? Mm. Let's think about this. Let's wow. reflect on the situation. Honestly. I would not have done that two years ago. I promise you. <laughs> I was definitely a see you later. Mm. We're out. Okay. So, yeah, I would say, like, it's really helped me. I think that's really good. I really, really think that a lot of my friends now, I'm 26, so my friends are, like, typically my age to 35, maybe. Yeah. Um, And a lot of them are in the stage you're at now. So for you to be there at 24, reflecting and getting yourself ready, up, you know, for all of that, kind of like healthy relationship stuff when the Mm. time's right is really powerful and I think that it's unfortunate that these conversations aren't as accessible because I do think there is an element of women um needing to take that in their own hands I think a lot of people I know who may have got into relationships quite young Mm. you do you know get into relationships when you're young you have absolutely no idea about who you are what you know attachment styles you have or anything like that (laughs) and then you end up in pretty much quite often a toxic relationship Mm. you then end up giving yourself more trauma to then that you're then going to have to work through before another uh, potentially healthy relationship and all of this is happening as time is continuing and then before you know it you're like 35 you may really want to start a family or whatever but you're also aware of all the things you've got to work through and you don't know where to start so Mm. I think there's a simple solution to this which is being self-aware from a younger age and I appreciate I've had a very unique experience with having a privilege of like having a mum who's a psychotherapist at every moment of my life is brought back to (laughs) yeah exactly however we also live in an environment now where this kind of stuff is readily available somewhat Mm -hmm. I'm not saying every Instagram post you read that mentions anxiety is the the right one Mm -hmm. but you know there's podcasts such as wise minutes and other podcasts which are more focused around having professionals Mm -hmm. and having these kind of conversations and there are more like psychologists and psychotherapists who are using their platform to have these conversations and I think it's good even tv like I watch married at first sight don't judge me and also um love is blind and stuff like that Mm. 
for the psychological perspective to see how people react in relationships and yeah. see I can see myself in so much of them and the places that they might be and how they respond to things I don't think our parents had that when no. they were our age or grandparents definitely didn't do you know mm. what I mean so yeah I think it is helpful but coming from that and just um, coming off that how do you feel as a professional in this field about the fact that we are now uh, in a stage where there are all of these like um I don't want to call them Instagram therapists but do you know what I mean like social media people who claim they know a thing or two about therapy might know a one attachment style mm. doing loads of posts and videos about it and that and you know it's made things like terms like anxiety and trauma and depression like buzzwords mm. do you think that's good do you think that's bad I'm 50 50 mm-hmm. again um so why I'm 50 50 is because I feel like these words have brought up awareness for people um which I think is good and also I'm a bit like if the intention is good and you can relate to the post or whatever then like that's a good thing mm. Because mental health is something that is, like, really not normalised in most communities. So I guess if there's, let's say, there's an Asian girl, she's not a mental health practitioner or anything, but she speaks about her experience of depression, then there'll be another Asian girl that sees that post and that's like, Maybe I can speak about my depression. I can speak about my depression. Or even if it doesn't even get to speaking about it, but just acknowledging it and being like, I went through this. Like, Mm. and she looks like me. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really positive thing. Where I think it becomes dangerous is that and it's even dangerous for mental health practitioners in terms of like I might put up something about anxiety but that does not mean that it applies to every single person with anxiety because there's different stuff for different people different therapy for different people not everything's going to work for one person so an example could be like so there's a thing called exposure therapy Mm -hmm. someone might be scared of like going outside Mm -hmm. so exposure therapy might be that we look go at to the pic- front door yeah maybe. go to the front door look mm-hmm. at a picture then go out i might do a post about exposure therapy and be like you know this is really good and like you should try and do small things to to get outside someone might interpret that in a whole different way and just go outside yeah and then that could elicit like a panic attack or something mm-hmm. i'm not saying that's because what i said is wrong but you can't control <clears throat> you can't per- um interpretations of everything you can't control people's interpretations of it no and also Exposure therapy might not have been the therapy for that person. So At that time. At that time, yes. So you have to be careful. I wouldn't say so much about, well, a little bit about what the actual person's putting out, but how you take it. Mm. Because it's not tailored to you. It's just information. Do you see what I mean? So I wouldn't want... For example, I've put out a post about attachment styles and I know I'm I'm correct with them because I've learned about them, mm. but I don't now want someone to read it and be like, that's my attachment style and like the end. Mm. I want you to just be aware of it and then explore it for yourself. Like research stuff, like extra stuff. Don't just take everything for gospel because things change. Like, I don't know, like a few years ago, people thought like being transgender, for example, was a mental health disorder and now it's not. Mm. Like... Things change drastically, so you have to be smart with what post you're taking, how much you're taking in, and what you want to take in from it. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. It I went on tangent, does. but no, yeah, thousand no, percent. And I totally agree with you. I think that anything we've said again, I've said this on a previous series as well with Versailles, which you should hundred percent go listen to. Politics, pollution, and people. Just saying, and 
it's about knowing that social media isn't necessarily the place to learn everything. No. It's the starter pack place. Yes. Yeah. You can get your initial something mm-hmm. from there. And everything, no matter how learned the poster is, such in this case you, mm-hmm. you still need to go off and do your own version of research. Absolutely. Like, I know for me, like my mental and me page, that's for awareness. That's for people to look at me and be like, she doesn't look like a mental health practitioner. Like, let me let me go and pre. Let me see what she's saying mm. and then do your own research mm-hmm. and then see it and be like, this sounds like me. Let me go and take it to the doctor. Yes. This sounds like me. Let me go and research this. This sounds like me. I'll speak to a therapist about this. But not this sounds like me. This is me the end. <laughs> because I don't know you. I yeah. haven't done a consultation with you. I don't know about your childhood experiences all the way up until now. I can't tailor my posts for one individual. So I have to give out general information. But these things are very specific to an individual. So yeah, you just need to take it with a pinch of salt. And then go into your research. Wonderful. Okay. I think we're going to leave that one there. Yeah. That was really, really helpful. Thank you so much. Can I just ask you one more question? Go on then. Do you consider secure attached as like the ideal attachment style and we should all be aiming to to get to that? Or is it that you can stay in your attachment style, but just be aware of it and do things to... Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, is it that we're all trying to get to secure? Is that the end goal? I feel like secure is the goal. But it's not necessarily bad that you're the others if you're aware of it. Mm. But obviously that just requires more work because you're not naturally... So for me, I'm not naturally trusting of people. Mm. And so it's okay that I'm aware of it, but it just means I have to try that extra bit harder to be like, okay, let's pause, relax. Like, they're not going to do X, Y, Z to you. Whereas if you're secure, then you're just secure and you don't really need to think about those things. So... I guess the goal is to be secure, but it's not necessarily bad to be the others. Just at least be aware of what you are. Okay, thank you. And what advice would you give to anybody who is trying to work on their attachment style? Would you recommend (laughs) speaking to your family and being like, why did you do this to me? Oh, (laughs) Um, I, it depends on your family. So I have done this with oh, my mum. Wow. But the first time I tried, I don't think it was like received as well as I had wanted it to. But you also have to be aware of the other person and how they're going to receive it and how their thoughts around it. So I'm going to say no for now <laughs> because you need to understand where they're coming from as well. Like, you need to think about how you're going to approach it. Is it even safe to approach that situation? Because obviously, like, you know, my mum's young and liberal and it's and it's kind of okay. But if your, if your parents are people that are, would literally, like, hit you or would be like, what the hell, you know that they're going to react in a way that's destabilising for you, mm-hmm. then no, I wouldn't do that. Um, but if you think my parents or my caregivers are in a space where we can speak about these situations and they're in a reflective space too, then yeah, like, um, yeah. Okay. Some solid advice. Thank you so much for coming on this journey with us. Really appreciate you, obviously, Nicole. And you will be with us in the next episode. Yeah. And we will continue to delve. And please carry on sharing, subscribing, following and supporting. It really, really means so much. I hope this episode has given you something, at least food for thought. Mm -hmm. And we will see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye.